simplify? The Arena Group Holdings Inc. is a small publicly traded media company that owns titles, including The Street, Parade, and Men's Journal. Since 2019, it has also published Sports Illustrated, though it doesn't own it. The Sports Illustrated brand is owned by a thing called Authentic Brands Group, which acquired it in 2019 and then licensed it to Arena for 10 years. So Arena owns the magazine. It employs the people who write and publish it and runs its website. But Authentic owns the Sports Illustrated brand and its intellectual property, and Arena pays Authentic some rent for the rights to use the name. The rent is $15 million per year. As of last summer, Arena had an equity market capitalization of around $100 million. Its chief executive officer was Ross Levinson, a longtime media executive, and about 40% of its stock was owned by affiliates of B. Riley Financial Inc., a financial services firm that has come up around here before. B. Riley also owned most of Arena's debt in the form of $110 million of bonds. And then in August, Arena signed a letter of intent to merge with a company called Simplify Inventions LLC, which was founded and run by Manoj Bargava, founder of 5-Hour Energy, the caffeine shot or whatever. The deal was sort of complicated. Simplify and Bargava would not just buy Arena, but would instead merge some of their media assets, the video programming, distribution, and production assets of Bridge Media Networks, including its two 24-hour networks, Newsnet and Sports News Highlights, as well as the automotive and travel properties driven and travel host, with Arena, invest $50 million of cash, and commit to buy $60 million worth of advertising over five years for a group of consumer brands also owned by Simplify, including 5-Hour Energy. In exchange for the assets, cash and advertising, Bargava would get control of Arena. On November 5th, they signed a merger agreement for the deal. Under the agreement, Bargava, through Simplify and 5-Hour International Corp., would end up owning about 65% of the post-merger company. The $50 million cash investment would partly buy common stock at a stock price of $5 per share, a premium to the stock price 3.86 at the time. The merger hasn't closed yet, though. In particular, Arena's shareholders have to vote on the deal before it can close, and Arena hasn't yet filed the proxy statement for that vote. But then Bargava got antsy? I don't know. On November 30th, he bought all of B. Riley's Arena stock and bonds, paying about $27.3 million, $2.90 per share, for the stock and about $78.8 million, 70 cents on the dollar, for the bonds. The stock closed at $2.32 that day, so Bargava was paying a premium for the stock. The bonds don't trade, B. Riley owned them all, but it, uh, seems fair to say he paid a premium for them too. At this point he became effectively the controlling shareholder of Arena, with about 44% of the stock. And on December 1st, in connection with that purchase, two B. Riley appointed directors stepped down from Arena's board and were replaced by two Bargava appointed directors. The result was that Bargava 1 has a pending merger agreement to acquire Arena, but also, two already bought a controlling stake in the company and kind of took it over. Before the merger closed, Arena then quickly fired several top executives, including Levinson, though he remained chairman of the board, to improve the operational efficiency and revenue of the company. And on December 11th, the board made Bargava CEO. On December 11th, 2023, the board of directors, the board, of the Arena Group Holdings Incorporated, the company, appointed Manoj Bargava as the company's interim chief executive officer, effective immediately. Mr. Bargava, 70, is the founder of Innovation Ventures LLC and has served as its chief executive officer since inception in 2000. 
Mr. Bargava has extensive management, operations, and marketing experience, which he has applied to numerous new business startups, including a water filtration company, a research and development company, and an investment company. This is just a very weird procedure. Ordinarily, if you sign a merger agreement, and it's conditioned on a shareholder vote, you wait until the shareholders vote and the deal closes before you take over the company. Bargava managed to take over the company before the merger closed. And then, uh, Arena decided to stop paying its debts? Conveniently, most of Arena's debt was owed to Bargava, and it stopped paying that. On December 29, 2023, the company failed to make the interest payment due on the notes held by Renew Group Private Limited. Renew is a Bargava vehicle that bought the $110 million of bonds from B. Riley. The company is currently in discussions with RGPL to restructure and or amend the RGPL notes, it said. RGPL is owned by Bargava, and Arena's CEO was also Bargava, making those discussions sort of awkward. To alleviate the awkwardness, on January 4, 2024, the board of directors of the company, the board, accepted the resignation of Manoj Bargava from his position as interim chief executive officer effective immediately. Mr. Bargava stepped down from this role to avoid any conflicts of interest which may arise as part of the pending transactions with affiliates of Mr. Bargava. His replacement appears to be, not a new CEO, but a new chief business transformation officer appointed from FTI Consulting Incorporated, a financial restructuring firm acceptable to RGPL. Also though, on January 2, 2024, the company failed to make a quarterly payment due to Authentic Brands Group, ABG, of approximately $3,750,000, the quarterly rent for the Sports Illustrated brand, and so Authentic terminated the license. On January 18, 2024, ABG notified the company of its intention to terminate the licensing agreement, effective immediately, in accordance with its rights under the licensing agreement. Upon such termination, a fee of $45 million became immediately due and payable by the company to ABG pursuant to the terms and conditions of the licensing agreement. The company is engaging in continuing discussions with ABG regarding the licensing agreement. And on Friday, Arena laid off the entire staff of Sports Illustrated, which it apparently can no longer publish. Authentic is looking for a new publisher, saying, We are committed to ensuring that the traditional ad-supported Sports Illustrated media pillar has best-in-class stewardship to preserve the complete integrity of the brand's legacy. Levinson apparently resigned from Arena's board on Friday, saying the actions of this board and the actions against Sports Illustrated's storied brand and newsroom are the last straw. Arena's stock closed below a dollar yesterday for a market cap of around 20 millions. I say that Arena decided to stop paying its debts, but it was perhaps not quite voluntary. Arena had about $7.3 million of cash at the end of September, and was losing about $5 million a month. In mid-November, it said that it had substantial doubt about the company's ability to continue as a going concern, and that it was counting on the merger deal with Simplify to rescue it. A lot has been written about the sad possible demise of Sports Illustrated, but I just want to say what a weird merger this is. Bargava somehow bought Arena twice. He agreed in August to contribute about $110 million of cash and advertising and some television assets for a majority stake in Arena. And then again in November, he paid about $106 million of cash to buy a controlling share of Arena's stock and bonds. The first deal, the merger, hasn't closed yet, and I suppose there is some doubt that it will, but there is a merger agreement anyway. And then he made himself CEO for about three weeks, and in that time he fired the executives, put the company into default on its debt, to him, and stopped paying the rent on its main asset, 
the right to publish Sports Illustrated, causing that asset to disappear, and turn into a $45 million debt. And now all of Arena's stock is worth less than $20 million, and it sure looks like Bargava overpaid. Twice? The Trump's back is back. Absolutely ages ago, in 2021, a special purpose acquisition company called Digital World Acquisition Corporation announced that it had agreed to merge with Trump Media and Technology Group, Donald Trump's media company, and take it public. This was surprising for a number of reasons, including that nobody knew that Donald Trump had a media company? It said it was going to launch a social network called Truth Social, and then I guess it did? Eventually? Meanwhile, though, the merger with Dweck did not close, due to legal holdups mostly. But DWAC and TMTG did announce that they had lined up a pipe deal, a private investment in public equity, in which sophisticated institutional investors agreed to invest $1 billion alongside the $287.5 million that was in DWAC's pot. This was sort of validating, though the pipe terms were unusual and very investor-friendly, so maybe not that validating. But the deal kept not closing. Ordinarily SPACs like Dweck have a two-year time limit to close a deal, after which they have to give shareholders back their money. Dweck's time was set to expire in September 2022. It had to ask shareholders for an extension to keep going. It kept waiting around for the deal to close. Everyone kind of forgot about it. On January 10, two weeks ago, DWAC terminated its pipe deal. The billion dollars of professional investor money for TMTG seems to have given up. Anyway, though, when the deal was announced, shares of Dweck shot up, on very little business plan at all. I wrote, A more realistic valuation method here is not to worry about cash flows at all, as Trump SPAC clearly does not, and treat the stock simply as a token of public interest in Donald Trump. My guess is that the price of Trump SPAC stock will not, for instance, be much affected by its earnings announcements, unless Trump himself does the earnings calls, in which case it will go up no matter what he says. My guess is that the stock will not be particularly correlated with the stocks of other media or technology companies. My guess is that the stock will go up when Trump is on television or if he announces that he's running for president again. My guess is that if something bad happens to Trump, if he's sued or arrested or banned by a new tech company or some new scandal comes out, then that will also make the stock go up to own the libs or whatever. My guess is that each day that goes by without Trump news, the stock will go down a bit. My guess is that the stock is essentially a bet on Trump's personal newsiness, on Trump news volatility. Again, that was in 2021, and I think it turned out not to be quite right. Dweck's stock was a bet on Trump's newsiness, yes, but also on its own connection with Trump's newsiness. In 2021, when this was announced, people were like ooh Trump's back and bought the stock and for a while the stock did sort of correlate with Trump's newsiness. But after years of delays and not doing much, Dweck no longer seemed like a good way to bet on Trump's newsiness, and it just faded from public attention. Also the price dropped. Dweck hit $97.54 per share in March 2022. It was below $18 two weeks ago. But I don't know, here it is again. It closed at $49.69 yesterday. Bloomberg's Bailey Lipschultz reports. Digital World Acquisition Corporation has surged nearly 200% over a six-day winning streak as shares power to the highest level since May 2022. Monday's 88% rally, after Trump's rival Ron DeSantis quit the primary race, marked the special purpose acquisition company's best day since its meme stock heyday in October 2021. The SPAC's surge was kick-started when the former president cruised to victory in the Iowa caucuses ahead of Tuesday's New Hampshire presidential primary. After more than two years and regulatory issues, 
the deal to take Trump Media and Technology Group, the nascent media company behind Truth Social, is still being worked through. The market has gone full bonkers, says Julian Klimochko, chief executive officer of Accelerate Financial Technologies Incorporated, which has a SPAC-focused fund. In his view the current stock price implies an excessive valuation of $8 billion. Shares do not reflect any fundamental intrinsic value of Truth Social, but they are more of a trading sardine, or tool of speculation, he said by email. I mean, yes. Though that's what I said in 2021, it's weird that the Trump SPAC was a Trump trading sardine for a while and then everyone forgot about it and now it's a trading sardine again. But it seems to be true. Bitcoin ETFs. There is a well-known strategy in financial markets of trading ahead of index rebalances. The idea is, you know that on date X, stock Y will join index Z. You know that a lot of index funds are indexed to index Z, and they will have no choice but to buy stock Y on date X. So you buy stock Y before date X, knowing that you will have someone to sell it to on date X. Joining the index will bring in a whole new source of demand for the stock, not just people who have looked at the stock and decided they like it, but a new class of fundamentals insensitive passive investor who will buy it just because it is in the index. So you buy it first to sell to them. There are ways for this to go wrong. You could get the stocks or weightings wrong, for one thing, or the trade could just get too crowded. If index funds will need to buy $100 million of stock Y on date X, and 10 different hedge funds each say ah I know that there will be $100 million of demand for stock Y, so I'll buy $50 million of it now, then there's $500 million of supply for $100 million of demand and the price will go down on date X. Or I suppose you could mess up by miscounting the number of indexed investors. You could say, there's $10 billion of assets indexed to index Z, and stock Y will be 1% of the index, so that's $100 million of demand. But if you're wrong, and there's only $5 billion of assets indexed to index Z, then there'll be less demand than you think. This does not seem like a major source of error. People have a decent idea of how much money is in, like S&P 500 index funds. One way to think about the launch of spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds is that they were a sort of blind index ad. Spot Bitcoin ETFs are, as it were, a way to add a new asset, Bitcoin, to the menu of things that you can buy on the stock exchange. It was widely expected that this would bring in a whole new source of demand for Bitcoin, a new class of crypto-curious but not that curious investor who will buy Bitcoin if it is a stock but not if it is anything else. A decentralized cryptocurrency, for instance, turning Bitcoin into a stock, via spot Bitcoin ETFs, would bring in those investors. So you buy Bitcoin first, to sell it to them. It was pretty well understood for months that Bitcoin ETFs were coming, and when. Everyone kind of knew that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission would approve them Jan number 10th and they'd launch the next day, to the point that someone trolled the SEC by falsely tweeting out its approval one day early. And so anyone who might want to do this trade had a pretty good idea about its mechanics and timing. But it was much harder to know its size. How many people want to buy Bitcoins on the stock exchange, and how much? If you are a crypto skeptic, you might guess nobody and not do this trade. If you are a crypto maximalist, you might also guess nobody, you might say crypto is such a good alternative financial system that it would be insane for anyone to buy it wrapped in a traditional stock market product provided by a big asset manager, but... That's kind of extreme. If you are a crypto enthusiast though, you might guess, everybody will buy tons of bitcoins once that becomes convenient, so I should buy tons of bitcoins to sell to them. 
A lot of people apparently had that thought process, and Bitcoin soared from about $27,000 in mid-October to about $47,000 on January 8th. But the actual answer seems to have been May, some people, but not in huge size, and Bitcoin has gone back down. The Financial Times reports. Bitcoin has lost 16% of its value over the past two weeks, as some investors used the much-hyped launch of Bitcoin exchange-traded funds earlier this month to take profits and exit their holdings of the volatile cryptocurrency. The price of Bitcoin sank as much as 3% on Tuesday, falling below $39,000 for the first time since early December. The recent losses have unwound part of a huge rally late last year, which came amid fevered speculation that the launch of mainstream stock market funds tracking the world's leading crypto token would draw in new investors to Bitcoin. But the flows into the ETFs, many launched by big Wall Street players such as BlackRock, have underwhelmed and investors who bought them have been left with hefty losses. The 10 new funds launched on January 11th after they were approved by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission had collectively pulled in $4.7 billion by the end of Tuesday, according to crypto investment group CoinShares. Bitcoin traded at $46,100 on the day the ETFs were launched, but has fallen steadily since. At the same time, $3.4 billion has left Grayscale's fund, the world's largest Bitcoin investment vehicle, since it converted to an ETF alongside the new launches. That's $1.4 billion of net new demand. CoinMarketCap tells me that the total market capitalization of Bitcoin is about $775 billion, and it trades about $30 billion a day, so adding $1.4 billion just isn't that much. It turns out that crypto enthusiasts anticipated much higher mainstream demand for Bitcoin ETFs than has so far manifested, which I guess is psychologically understandable. If you like Bitcoin, you might expect other people to like it too, more than they actually do. Still, this is sort of a boring outcome. The much funnier outcome would be if the demand for Bitcoin ETFs, or, rather, the demand for Bitcoin from Bitcoin ETF investors, was negative. We talked last week about one way that could happen. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was a $29 billion pot of Bitcoins that had been locked up for years. Investors could sell each other their Grayscale shares, at a discount to net asset value, but could not withdraw money, or Bitcoins, from the fund. But on January 11th it converted to an ETF like everyone else which meant that people could withdraw from the fund, and they did, about $3.4 billion has left. That's less than what has gone into the other funds, but it could have been more. I wrote, it is possible that the main effect of the launch of spot Bitcoin ETFs would be people taking money out of GBTC, which they have never been able to do before, rather than putting money into GBTC or the other ETFs. And the FT says, ETFs bring liquidity. And while they enable people to come in, they also enable people to exit, said Varun Paul, director of market infrastructure at blockchain platform Fireblocks. Some investors are exiting positions after buying Bitcoin a long time ago, so they're in the money. It turns out that there was a little more demand to get in than to get out, but only a little. By the way, here's another way for the demand to be negative. If you are a crypto skeptic, you might want to short Bitcoin, bet against it. But you probably won't actually do that. Shorting Bitcoin would involve going to some crypto lending platform, setting up a wallet, borrowing Bitcoins, selling them for stablecoins, converting into dollars, and generally managing the collateral of that position in a very crypto world. If you're a crypto skeptic, you don't want to live in the crypto world at all. Shorting Bitcoin requires too much engagement with Bitcoin, and you might avoid it. On the other hand, 
if there are traditional financial products that allow you to bet against Bitcoin without touching any Bitcoins, well, you might do that. When Bitcoin futures were introduced, products that trade on traditional regulated exchanges and that allow big investors to bet on or against Bitcoin without touching actual Bitcoins, there was some anticipation that they would lead to a lot of shorting by crypto skeptics, but those futures are not really a retail product. Now if you want to bet against Bitcoin you can do it in your brokerage account, by shorting Bitcoin ETFs, which is a lot easier for a crypto skeptic than actually shorting Bitcoin. Oh also here's this from the Financial Times last week. U.S. asset managers are vying to launch exchange-traded funds with leveraged Bitcoin exposure and expand into Bitcoin-based options and other cryptocurrencies after last week's Securities and Exchange Commission approval of 11-spot Bitcoin ETFs. ProShares this week disclosed plans to launch five ETFs, including one that would offer twice the daily exposure to a Bitcoin tracking index and others to provide inverse Bitcoin returns paying out up to double any decline in an underlying index, according to filings with the SEC. The extra leverage in the ETFs, which are not designed to be long-term investments, would amplify swings experienced by the already volatile Bitcoin price. If you want to make a 2x levered bet against Bitcoin, soon there might be an ETF for that. Things happen. China's bold stock market rescue plan leaves investors skeptical. To inflate building values, office landlords offer cash gifts, discounted loans. Billionaire Howard Lutnick is taking on exchange giant CME. How one debt-laden company could create a storm for private jets. Palantir's momentum hurt by slowing growth in government deals. EU's lending arm must take more risks on projects, Belgium says. Former Fed officials' trades gave appearance of conflict but did not break rules. SEC says false Bitcoin post came after phone number was switched. Biden aims to stop countries from exploiting Americans' data for blackmail, espionage. A new drinking game is sweeping Britain. Rat selfies. If you'd like to get money stuff in handy email form, right in your inbox, please subscribe at this link. Or you can subscribe to Money Stuff and other great Bloomberg newsletters here. Thanks. I recommend clicking through to Authentic's portfolio of brands, which includes not only Sports Illustrated and clothing brands like Aeropostal, Billabong, Brooks Brothers, Eddie Bauer, Forever 21, Nine West, Reebok, and Quicksilver, but also the names of people like Elvis Presley, Muhammad Ali, David Beckham, Greg Norman and Shaquille O'Neal. I don't want to know how that works. Maybe they license Shaq's name back to him for a fee? Actually, the guaranteed minimum annual royalties are $15 million, and it's higher if revenues are higher, but uh, they're not. Also, Arena had the option to renew the license for up to nine more terms for a total of 100 years. There's also a credit facility with SLR Digital Finance LLC with $19.6 million outstanding, which was cross-defaulted by these defaults. The company is in discussion with SLR. The resignation is not in Arena's Securities and Exchange Commission filings yet, but it's on Levinson's LinkedIn, which I guess is pretty official.